When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think my neighbor is a serial killer. A few years ago, when I was in high school, there was always a story going around about a serial killer who stalked the streets of our town. There had been a good amount of stories about missing teens, normally women, who were runaways, but on the whole, most chalked it up to kids who left the town because they couldn't take it anymore. The thing is, we live off a major interstate, so there's a lot of truckers who find their way through town. It's not hard to hop a ride and never return. In all, over the course of a decade or so, roughly 20 girls went missing. For a major city, that wouldn't be all too surprising. 
My town has a population of about 30,000, so it went noticed. But it was also over an extensive period of time. We're talking 10 years. 20 women going missing in that period of time isn't really going to get too much notice. And it didn't. But the story started, especially when one of those women turned out to be a student at my high school. I didn't know her too well, but I do remember we had English together. She seemed nice enough, you know, the quiet and shy type. But then one day, she was gone. It was in 2005. There was an assembly where her parents pleaded for any tips, but nothing. She was last seen on a Friday night leaving the local bowling alley. Her friend and her split off into different directions about a half mile from the alley, as they lived on opposite sides of the neighborhood. My town is pretty safe, so it wasn't unusual for people to walk home at night. You know, except for the stories. The ones that spread throughout the school halls about so-and-so's cousin going missing. But we just dismissed him. Then Heather was gone. The police put up an effort to search for her, and I remember a group search party out in full force looking. But nothing. They couldn't find her. They never did find her. Even today, ten years later, she is gone. Her parents still live in the same house, hoping beyond hope, I guess, that she'll return. Her mother, who has become a recluse of sorts, once told my mom she would never leave because she worried Heather wouldn't be able to find her way home if they did. I don't see the dad much anymore, so I don't know if he's bailed or what. Come to think of it, though, the mother rarely ventures outside either. You can't help but feel bad for him. When news broke of Heather missing, the school ate it up. You know how kids are. Myself. It spooked me. I was 15 at the time of her disappearance. She was only a few months older than myself, actually 16 at the time of her disappearance. But I felt oddly put off by it. As my friends laughed it off, I couldn't help but find myself haunted by my own history. A blurred memory that really didn't come into focus until Heather's disappearance. I think what triggered it was the search crew a group of townspeople combing over every street. It was so familiar to me. Then bits and pieces of my memory started flooding back. I remember a woman crying in my living room. She was being hugged by my mother. It was my aunt. My aunt Jessica, my mom's sister. At first, I couldn't recall why she was crying, but eventually, as each memory returned, I started remembering. There was this girl I used to play with. She always would come over to my house and we would play in our backyard. Then one day, without warning, she was gone. That's all I could remember this girl left and never returned. So I eventually asked my mother about her. Her face instantly told me she knew. But she refused to talk about it at first. She said it wasn't right dragging up past ghosts. What did she mean by that? Eventually, though, after pleading with her, she relented. When I was four, back in 1994, my cousin, the daughter of Aunt Jessica, went missing. She was overplaying with me when it happened. We were playing hide-and-seek. She was hiding and was never found. Samantha was her name. Sammy, for short, and as my mom told me about her, I could remember just not much about that day. Maybe I blocked it out. Maybe I just refused to remember. Regardless, I didn't know much and didn't seem to know much back then. My mom told me the police interviewed me as best they could about the last time I saw Sammy, and I was up front with them apparently. I was in the front yard counting, and she was in the back. 
That was the last physical place she could be traced to. For months, people searched, but there was never any leads. Eventually, people forgot. I forgot. We moved on. Aunt Jessica moved out of town and no one talked about Sammy again. Heather's disappearance awoke those memories and I was upfront with my mother about that. I asked her about the other missing girls, ranging from six Sammy's age to twenty, and my mom seemed to think there was a connection. It unnerved her to talk about, even though she never had any daughters of her own, and I asked her why the town was so dismissive of the idea that someone was out there kidnapping, and maybe even killing, these girls. Her only answer was that they didn't want to believe. They forced themselves not to believe. In 2005, the disappearances stopped. For over a decade, the girls went missing starting, really, with Sammy. The other 19 girls came after that, and who knows how many girls who were just passing through. Between 2005 to 2014, there was only a handful of disappearances, and all were eventually accounted for mostly family members kidnapping kids and taking them across the state line. But the number of unsolved cases between that stretch ended. Until last month. A ten-year-old girl, who was walking home from school, went missing. No one knows where she is. It's been front-page news here, and like with Heather and Sammy, they've sent out search parties. Nothing, though. So, why do I think my neighbor might be a serial killer? Well, up until recently, I didn't. Certainly, I found him an unusual man. He lived in his mother's basement, his mom an elderly woman who has been neighbors with us since my parents bought this house back in the 80s. She's lived in that house since the 50s. He's lived there his whole life well, except for a period of time when he was supposedly working in the oil fields in North Dakota, a period that stretched from 2005 to last October. He returned home in the dead of night. I remember seeing him the next day. I hadn't seen him in almost ten years, and it was surprising to see that he had returned. I asked him where he was and what he was doing, but he was very short with his answers. He didn't seem to want to talk with me much, even though he always appeared friendly back when I was a kid. At the time, I assumed he was just done working in North Dakota and decided to return back home. After all, his mom was in frail health, so maybe he was home to take care of her. I didn't think much of it until Rebecca went missing in early January. The day she went missing, I remember there being a lot of commotion around Dennis' house that night. The basement light was on and I could hear loud music playing. Around three in the morning, I heard Dennis' old beater car start letting out a loud rep through the quiet night. I found that unusual he was leaving for anywhere at that hour, but of course at that moment I didn't have reason to suspect anything. His arriving home, around three hours later, woke me up as my bedroom is right next to their driveway and garage. I don't know where he went. But as the morning light began seeping through, I could see he was muddied. Wherever he was, it wasn't a very clean place. I drifted asleep and then awoke for work a few hours later. A few hours into my shift, Becca's disappearance was all over the place. That's when I first had thoughts that maybe something was off with Dennis. Later that night, as I waited by my window in anticipation for him to leave he never did, I started putting pieces together. Where was Dennis for ten years? Why did the disappearances just stop during the exact period he was gone? Then the biggest aha, or was it oh no? 
Moment Dennis was my neighbor back when Sammy went missing. I actually vaguely remember Dennis talking to us over the fence while we played in my backyard though. I don't believe it was that day she went missing. But certainly the police would have interviewed him back then, right? Certainly his odd behavior over the years would have tipped them off, right? Then I remembered. It hit me. Dennis. Dennis was the brother of our town's police chief. No way would a police chief protect his brother, a potential serial killer, right? No, I couldn't believe it. But I kinda do. I think my neighbor is a serial killer. Now how can I prove it? I live alone in an apartment complex and a few months ago this guy moved in upstairs from my unit. When I would leave or walk to my door I would see him above the balcony watching me and not even in an inconspicuous way, just flat out hanging over the rail and watching me. I ran into him once when he was walking downstairs he commented that my dog was cute and asked if I wanted to go upstairs to his apartment to give him a treat. I declined and he kept insisting, but I said no and walked back inside as fast as I could. I felt a very weird energy to that. At some point maybe a month later a couple of boxes of dog treats were at my door without a note which lead me to believe they came from him. Packages that said they were delivered were missing, so one day I checked the front office and what do you know creepy guy works at the complex. So he asks what my apartment number is grabs a package from the back and tried to initiate conversation as I can tell he knew who I was, but I just pretended like I did not recognize who he was and walked out of there. It was then I felt really uncomfortable. This guy now knows my name and info, so I steer clear of him as best as I can, but then there are still weird instances going on where it says a package was delivered that was not at my front door, and they are either at the lobby or show up a week later out of the blue. Just tonight two packages were at my front door that I saw with my own eyes while I was walking my dog and I figured I would just grab them when I go back inside but when I came back they were no longer there. I saw him walking on his way back to his apartment from his shift during the time I was outside and I feel very strongly that he took them and it all started to piece together that this could be some weird tactic of his. I don't know what to do and he just gives really odd vibes off. I can't exactly tell the complex about the package issues because he is the face of them and I never see anyone else working there anymore. Every time I leave my apartment I try to scurry as fast as I can to my car because he always tends to linger on his patio and doesn't seem to care how obvious he is staring at me every time. Three years ago, my neighbor had what can best be described as a mental breakdown. One morning he stepped onto his front lawn, looked around the street for a few moments, then went and sat in his driveway shirtless. I had watched him do this because I'd just gone out to go to school. When I returned later that day, seven hours later, he was still there, sitting exactly as he had been when I left. Most of our neighbors had gone to work, seeing the man as they drove past, but none had thought to call the police. He technically wasn't doing anything wrong, so he remained undisturbed for several hours though undoubtedly watched by anyone who hadn't gone to work or school. I wasn't very familiar with him, passing greetings being the most contact between us in the years we lived next door to each other. 
My parents were similarly unfamiliar with the man, though none of us could have said that we disliked him or felt uncomfortable around him. He was just a stranger who occupied the same street as us. For the sake of privacy and respect of the dead, I won't share his name. After arriving home that day, I went into my house, made some food, and played video games, not thinking about the man, but knowing with a sort of subconscious awareness that he was still sitting motionless and half-naked in his driveway. Hours passed, and the fathers and mothers and general adults began arriving home from work, and the man's presence was beheld a second time, now worrying, inciting neighborly unease, because their children were out at play, and a strange man behaving oddly in the vicinity of children is an unsettling thing. My own parents had arrived by then, and questioned me about the man, and I told them as much as I've said now. They told me to remain inside, and then together they joined the other neighbors, who had come out of their homes to slowly approach the man, looking like zookeepers warily approaching some agitated animal. I watched them through my window, a sense of dread filtering into my blood. I had no clue why, but felt that something awful was about to happen. The group of adults arrived at the man's driveway, and he sat as still as ever, paying no attention to them. The only parts of his body that moved were his eyelids all else was still, and even his breathing was so faint as to be indiscernible. My father was the first to reach him, and said something that I couldn't hear through my window. I opened it, quietly not wanting to give away that I was watching and managed to make out the phrase, Are you alright? To which the man did not respond. Similar questions were asked by other residents, but no one received an answer. I saw some of them exchange worried looks, and a few withdrew phones from their pockets, either to record the strangeness or prepare to call someone presumably the authorities. My dad, who in his professional life was a student counselor wasn't at my school, thankfully attempted to be physically supportive. Kneeling, he placed an arm around the man, who was assuredly sweaty from having sat shirtless in the sun all day. I was understandably grossed out, but that trivial feeling gave way to abject terror when the man reacted to my father's touch. Without hesitation, Happening the exact moment my dad's arm fell around his shoulders, the neighbor became suddenly animated and seized my dad by the throat with his hands. My mother screamed, the crowd collectively gasped, and before anyone could think to come to my dad's aid, the neighbor slammed his head on the pavement. In a second, he had climbed atop my dazed father and had landed several blows on his head. By the time one of the other neighbors had snapped out of their shock, and come to restrain the attacking man, my father's head was a pulpy mess on the driveway, caved in by the neighbor's mania strengthened blows. I was petrified by shock, the unprovoked brutality of it all. I couldn't begin to process it, to appropriately react to it. I was like a mannequin in that window, staring dry-eyed at the battered form of my father on the driveway. It was chaos after that. My family was well-liked among the neighborhood, thanks to my father having been helpful to several neighbors' children. When the incident happened, a bit over half of the gathered crowd wanted to beat if not kill the man who had bludgeoned my dad. The other half, desperately wanting to maintain some level of civility, pleaded with the opposing side to call the authorities and let them sort it out. Despite my father lying dead a few feet away from them, they defended his killer, speculating that mental illness, not malice, had been the cause of the violence, 
and that he deserved treatment appropriate to the circumstances. In the end, no one harmed the man. They all knew, were all vaguely aware, that executing the man in broad daylight where children were watching from windows was not something the neighborhood could recover from. The police were called, and the neighbor who had calmed immediately after murdering my father was taken away. Neighbors were questioned, and everyone reported the same story. My father's body was loaded into an ambulance black tarp concealing him, and my mother followed the procession of emergency vehicles in her car, firmly instructing me to remain home before departing. She hadn't known that I watched it all, and told me that Dad had been. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hurt. As they left, I peeked through the window and saw several neighbors glancing furtively towards our house, their eyes filled with shock and sorrow. Angered beyond reason, rendered almost stupid by it, I left my home and ran to the neighbor's house. It took every nerve, every ounce of will not to look at the bloodstain on his driveway as I passed it. Luckily, if luck is even an applicable term for all this, he had left his front door unlocked. I went inside for the moment not caring who saw me. I figured I had a right to investigate the house. If they weren't willing to help my father, but were willing to stop me from trespassing, they weren't neighbors at all. The man's house was dark, dust-choked, and filled with an atmosphere of disuse. Apparently, his breakdown had occurred well before he positioned himself on his driveway. The specific details of his house are largely irrelevant. It had the general makeup of any three-bedroom suburban home, albeit one that had fallen to slow interior ruin. There is only one room a guest room that deserves mention. It was in here that I found the organization and examination of a mystery, one that explained the neighbor's bizarre and savage behavior. Within this room, crudely affixed to the walls, tacked to boards, stapled to nearly every surface, were pictures of my dad. Earlier, I had thought that mere physical contact had provoked the neighbor, that he would have reacted that way to anyone who touched him. But clearly, evidenced by the pictures in the room, he had some long-held vendetta against my dad. The pictures seemed to date back years, some even of the family when we first moved to the neighborhood six years earlier. I was only seven then, and despite the odd obsessiveness of it all, he had had the decency to at least black out my face where I was present. He did the same for my mother's as well. His ire was solely focused on my dad. On a desk covered with folders, these filled with pictures as well was a small plastic box. It was black, about the size of a glasses case, and was the focal point of the desk. Everything seemed placed around it, but nothing touched it. Something in my gut told me not to open it to just let the authorities investigate the house themselves when the time came, but my anger motivated me to find answers. Taking a moment to calm my shaking hands, I reached out and lifted the lid. There was a flash drive inside and nothing else. I took it out, and as if brought to my awareness by contact with the thing, 
I saw a laptop beneath a stack of papers nearby. I opened it, and thankfully it was unlocked. I inserted the flash drive and accessed its contents, which consisted of scans of photographs, articles dating back decades, documents of event schedules, personal entries, and map coordinates. All of it pertaining to an occult organization, of which my father and neighbor were apparently members. According to the documents, some of which were diary entries from various members, the cult had been abruptly disbanded following a ceremony which required the sacrifice of a child. The cult had done objectionable things in the past, but apparently the taking of a child's life was the first, and many members objected to it. Those who were willing to go through with the abominable rite did so, after excommunicating the unwilling. Following the schism and ceremony, the cult dissolved the once loyal members expressing extreme regret at having committed the deed, due to the nature in which it was carried out, which was apparently far more torturous for the child than planned. My father and neighbor were of those who conducted the sacrifice. The origin of the abducted child was not mentioned in any of the entries, and was not one of the points on the maps, most of them being location sites for their occult ceremonies. Once the child had been acquired, the ceremony was held and the life was taken. The exact purpose wasn't disclosed. While I'm sure they had some sick reason, it seemed to me that the sacrifice was largely senseless, as if no one really knew or dared to speak the eldritch purpose, beyond the name of the entity to which the offering was made. I've copied a short entry from the neighbor's digitized diary, omitting nothing. It has been twenty years since that night. He thinks he can just escape it, just move on, brush all that blackness under a rug. He's married now, and has even fathered a child. But what of the rest of us? Those who can't simply turn away from our crimes, even though they remain unknown to the world. I've followed him throughout this period, watching from the shadows as he goes about his morally unburdened life. It sickens me, infuriates me. I can't sleep at night, can't eat, can barely perform the tedium of my work. Meanwhile, he acts as if he's normal, as if he hadn't done unspeakable things in worship of that loathsome, hypercosmic timekeeper, the black horologist. We both have, the only difference is that I feel guilt over them, he doesn't. I've altered myself considerably in the last few years. I'm virtually unrecognizable now, to anyone who has known me. Even the others, those with whom I've maintained contact, say that it seems as if I'm a completely new person. I've bought the home next door to his, and have watched with disgust as he plays the role of suburban family man. His roots are gnarled and blackened. The only thing that can grow from them are rotten, monstrous stalks. I won't let him go on living this false way I can't. He's become a counselor at a school, for God's sake. What if he's planning on resuming those diabolical practices, using one of the children he counsels? I can feel my sanity slipping away. The black horologist has wound his watch, and time ticks by. The evidence of the man's entry was abundant. There were pictures of the ceremony, entries from various members attesting to the same things, and even a few from my father. His were mostly remorseless and unapologetic darkly pious. He was sure that his crimes were justified in the worship of this bizarre, time-focused entity. One disturbing entry of his was almost gleeful. He mentions a feeling of beatific joy at having done some unspecified act of killing on an animal in alleged service to his master. 
I found no mention of my mother in any of the files. I was thankful for that, at least. I didn't want to think of my dad as an insane cult member, but I suppose it's possible. But my mother, I couldn't imagine her doing any of the vile things detailed in the documents. An hour had passed, and I had no idea when the police would return to conduct a search on the house. I didn't want to just take the flash drive, there was still a lot left to go through, and neither did I want to risk being seen going home and returning with my own drive to copy the files. Luckily, there's that word, again my neighbor had internet access. I planned on uploading the files to an online storage service I had an account with, but the moment I initiated the upload, the files on the drive started being deleted. Before I could salvage any of it, it was all gone wiped by some security encryption measure in the flash drive. Apparently, he hadn't wanted the data to leave the drive, and was willing to see it all erased rather than be transferred elsewhere. I no longer had proof of my dad's involvement in a murderous cult, and the only remaining evidence were the pictures. The resultant narrative, rather than the truth, was that my neighbor was simply deranged and obsessive, and had murdered my father for some unknowable reason. That's how it played out, in the end. He never said anything to anyone. Not the police, not the lawyers appointed to him. People believed it was to avoid incriminating himself further the pictures and the guests were undeniably damning. But I believe his silence was not because he was unwilling to talk, but because he was unable to. His mind, if his diary entries were an accurate representation of it, was already greatly unraveled. The man that murdered my father had only done so out of some instinctual impulse, the last vestige of sense in an otherwise broken mind. I relate this story now in hopes that someone here can possibly provide more information on this profane cult and the sinister being they supposedly served. In my early twenties, I lived in a two-story house with the master bedroom's bathroom window facing the residential street in front. One day, after getting out of the shower, I was brushing my teeth while looking into the large mirror opposite the window. In the reflection, I happened to catch sight of my neighbor, a man in his late fifties, across the street, sitting in his garage at his workbench and looking at me with binoculars. Without making any immediate reaction or looking his way, I calmly walked into my bedroom, retrieved my scoped Marlin 336, eased back into the bathroom, and put him in the scope through the window. He continued looking for a few more seconds, doing the classic double take upon realizing we were both observing each other through high power optics. He placed his binoculars on his workbench and walked away, never repeating the behavior. I assumed he had been peeping at my girlfriend, as she often took showers at my house. It's important to note that the rifle was not loaded. I moved back home about a year ago. My mom lives in a trailer park somewhere in BFE. I've never had any problems with the neighbors I mind my business, they mind their own. My mom's fiancé on the other hand, being the social butterfly that he is has to get to know everyone coming and going around the block. So earlier this year we start seeing a new guy next door living with what we thought was just a single mom and her child. I thought maybe it's a new boyfriend or something. Of course my mom's fiancé immediately starts getting to know the newbie of the neighborhood, 
but the months to come things starts to get weird. Whenever my sister would go outside, she'd notice the new neighbor. Chris would fly out the back door to do random mundane things. She would notice him watching out the window quite often too, but we didn't pay any mind to her because sometimes my sister can be very dramatic. My mom's fiancé used to let him use our water and water hose to water his gardens. I never understood why, but when we got the water bill back, and it was over $200, he told him he can't continue to let him use it because things are so expensive anymore. He immediately got aggressive and tried to tell him we're the ones who were using too much water, not him. Which we've never gotten a bill that high before since living here. Last week I get a random friend request from the neighbor. Not thinking much of it, I approved it. My mom's fiancé lets me know that Chris talked about how pretty I was and asked him for Facebook information, but he acted like he didn't know if I had a Facebook or not. The realization kicks in that he went through hundreds of my mom's fiancé friends on FB to find my profile. By this point we've already been talking over FB, but it has been a friendly chat so no harm. Plus, I figured he's seen where I have a boyfriend because my profile clearly states in a relationship. I mentioned to Chris what my mom's fiancé said, and he said he wasn't going to sugarcoat anything that he actually called me sexy as F. I let it be known I have a boyfriend, and he apologizes. If you think that's the last time he's made a comment or a pass, you're wrong. It's like he completely disregards I'm with someone. He's even asked me to go in the woods with him meet him outside at night, and just in general made me so uncomfortable. At this point I'm over talking to him, but one crucial information my mom's fiancé left out was that he just got out of prison months ago for some really bad stuff. Breaking and entering, arson to name a few, and the worst one manslaughter for shanking a man while he was serving his time, he claims it was self-defense. I have no idea how he's even walking freely right now, but I digress. So usually once a guy doesn't take the hint of, I have a boyfriend, I'd usually tell them to F off, block and be done, but my mother doesn't think that's the best course of action. I even brought up ghosting him, but she thinks that he could just walk right over if he sees me out and confront me about leaving him of Reed. He's actually been caught walking through our yard trying to find me one day so her theory is not far-fetched. My family and boyfriend are terrified for me. My mom tells me I am no longer allowed to go outside by myself. I'm just trying to save up enough to move away from here. Edit slash update. Thank you all for taking the time to read and reply. Last night my family, boyfriend, and I was outside talking on the front porch just hanging out. We started hearing yelling next door and the creepy neighbor sped off in a truck. Then a few moments later he came back and we heard a woman screaming, Keep your hands off of me. Police were called and more people showed up at the home. My mom, boyfriend, and I left to go to town. It was dark, but when we pulled up to the end of the street to get onto the main road our headlights lit up a person on the side of the road. It was my creepy neighbor clutching his phone looking up the road. Today I found out he lied about being single and was cheating on the mother of his children. This poor woman has done everything for him only for him to try and cheat on her with 16 other women. You can say his dirty ways caught up to him, and now she's kicked him to the curb. He's not longer living next door. 
As for the commotion we heard, I know she owns all the cars they have there, so I'm guessing he tried to take off in one of them once she confronted him about all the dirty messages. She must have made him come back with it since it's hers, so he brought it back and tried fighting her. He must have known someone was going to call the cops, so he ran on foot given his record and didn't want to go back to jail. Which is why we seen him at the end of the street looking scared in the dark. I'm not sure if that's exactly what transpired, but based on everything I've heard from last night and from his ex herself today, this is my best guess. To the woman next door, I'm so sorry you and your family had to deal with this, you didn't deserve any of it. As for the creepy neighbor good riddance, and I hope you get what's coming to you. I live in a quiet neighborhood in the countryside. Not much happens here, but I recently got the Ring doorbell app. It lets me see who's at my front door and a bit of my front yard. I got it mostly to spot animals like deer, raccoons, and maybe even bears that live around here. In the first few weeks after I put it up, not much happened. I saw a few animals now and then, but one night I woke up around 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know why I woke up. I checked my phone to see the time, and there was a message from the Ring app. It said something had moved in front of the camera. I opened the app, thinking I'd see a deer or something, but what I actually saw was unbelievable. There were about ten guys standing outside my front door in the yard, about thirty feet away. I couldn't believe my eyes and had to look again. I didn't know these guys or why they were in my yard. It was one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen. I walked quietly from my bedroom to the living room, then I peeked out of the window. The guys were all lined up facing my house, and they had kind of blank expressions, but it was hard to see them clearly in the dark. Most of them had jackets on, and they weren't doing much. There was just a bit of light from my front door, so I could see them a little. I stayed where they couldn't see me and didn't know what to do. I just watched them, thinking about whether to go outside or call the police. I knew there were a bunch of them and only one of me, so if they wanted trouble, I'd be in trouble. I tried to come up with a good reason for why they were there, but I couldn't think of one. I stayed scared for about 20 minutes, though it felt much longer. The men didn't really move much during that time, but finally one of the guys turned around, and all of them went into the woods next to my yard. I stayed awake for another hour, keeping an eye on my windows and the ring app. Eventually, I managed to fall asleep again. I still can't stop thinking about what happened that night, but it always gives me the shivers when I remember it.